0: Bible is with you this morning, I invite you to turn to Mark's Gospel, uh, to chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 21 to 43 uh, this morning, that's found on page uh, 840 and 841 in the Bible in your seats. As we come to our text this morning, uh, about a month ago I planned to, to preach on this text, and, uh, and then in light of uh, the events that have taken place in the last week in the life of our congregation and Daniel's passing. Uh, I talked with Chris over the last week and I asked him if this is something I should still go ahead and do. And he encouraged me to do so. And so I do pray this morning that this is uh, encouraging not only to the parties, but also to uh, us as a congregation. Uh, as these things uh, affect all of us in various and different ways. And so uh, we're in Mark chapter 5 this morning, verses 21 uh, through 43. Our text this morning uh, ends a trilogy of sorts in Mark's gospel. In this section of Mark's gospel, in the two previous stories, uh, Jesus is continued to demonstrate his power uh, over uh, nature through the calming of the storm at the end of Mark chapter 4, but also uh, the first half of chapter uh, 5, Jesus is demonstrating his power over the spiritual world as he uh, casts this legion of demons out of this, uh, the garrison man uh, that he encountered on the other side of the sea. He's continuing to reveal more and more of his person and work. And even this morning in our, in our text, this morning, we'll see him demonstrating his power over life and death itself. And so my prayer this morning for all of us is that as we uh, hear about Jesus' encounter with Jairus and uh, this woman, this unnamed woman uh, that comes uh, and approaches him, that this story would give us hope uh, in the midst of our circumstances. And so uh, let's turn to God's Word now and read from it. Picking up at uh, verse 21, Mark chapter 5. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would bless us over these next few moments, that you would teach us from your word, that you would encourage us, that you would give us hope, Lord in the midst of the circumstances of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over the last hundred years, a number of medical advances have taken place in in the world that we live in. Uh, Many of these have aided us in uh, in the curing of diseases and generally have improved uh, the quality of life uh, for all of us. And so I want to go through and, and mention a few of these things that have happened. And I know that we have... Uh, some medical professionals in our congregation, in our presence this morning, and so feel free to correct me uh, later uh, on anything that I get wrong. So uh, I am not a medical expert. I don't claim to be. So anyway, uh, but there have been a number of medical advances over the last hundred years, in the last century or so. Uh, that have have aided us and and generally improved the quality of our lives as human beings. Uh, Going back to 1921, vitamin D was discovered. This went towards helping prevent rickets uh, in folks. Uh, Later that same year, in 1921, insulin was developed for regulating uh, the blood sugar uh, of of people, in the 1920s, in that same decade, uh, many vaccines were first developed: vaccines for diphtheria, pertussis, tuberculosis, and tetanus. Things that we uh, sometimes take for for common uh, these days that we don't have to deal with, but there was a time when uh, there was there was not uh, treatment for these things. Uh, 1928, penicillin was developed as an antibiotic. In 1935, a vaccine was developed for yellow fever. And then in 1946, chemotherapy was first introduced in the treatment of cancer patients. 1952, the polio vaccine was developed. This was a disease that had claimed the lives of many, many children uh, over years and even uh, one of our, our presidents, uh, FDR. In 1954, uh, the kidney transplant was first performed. In 1958, a pacemaker was first developed for regulating uh, our heartbeat. And then in the 1960s, uh, a number of transplants were first performed uh, for the first time. Liver, lung, and heart, uh, heart transplants were done for the first time. That same decade, the 1960s, vaccines uh, were developed for measles and mumps. And then in 1973, LASIK eye surgery was first developed in its primitive stages. These are things that many of us in this room have in some way benefited from in some way that have improved uh, the general quality of life for all of us as human beings. In some cases, uh, these things have cured diseases, things that we don't have to deal with uh, anymore, things that used to claim the lives of many. Uh, Medicine has advanced and developed ways to, to treat us as human beings. But there's one thing that these advancements in medicine could not do, and that is prevent death. Death still happens in our world. Ever since Adam and Eve ate from the tree, our bodies are decaying. Each and every day, our bodies are decaying. Death still happens and takes place in our world. And so what this, even as much as our world and our society is advanced in medical treatment, we cannot escape this fact. And what this points us to is that we cannot save ourselves. We are not self-sufficient, in other words. We cannot save ourselves. We need help from outside of ourselves. And so as we, look, as we turn our attention to our story this morning, Jairus knew this, and this woman uh, that approaches Jesus in the crowd also knew this. They knew that their situations were desperate and they needed help from outside themselves. They could not heal themselves. And so we turn our attention to Jesus. That is who they sought out uh, to help them. In their desperation, So we see, uh, as we pick up in our story this morning in verses 21, uh, Jesus has just returned from the other side of the sea. He is, as I mentioned a few moments ago, he has been uh, on the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he had cast out the legion of demons from the man he encountered there. Uh, and then as he has returned back uh, to, to the other side of the sea... Uh, A large crowd, again, has gathered around him. As we see, oftentimes, uh, Jesus was followed by large crowds. And so in the midst of this crowd, in the midst of Jesus returning, here comes Jairus, uh, a local synagogue ruler. He comes and 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 interrupts uh, this crowd and, and comes to Jesus. He's desperate. He's a man in need of help. He needs Jesus' help. And so he falls down at Jesus' feet, demonstrating his respect. Uh, For Jesus and who he is. And he's begging him. He's imploring him earnestly is what Mark tells us. In other words, he's pleading with Jesus to come and help. Help me. He realizes his desperate situation. He says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may may be made well and live. His little girl's condition is critical. There's no time to waste. He needs Jesus' help now. And so what we see in this, in this father in Jairus as he comes to Jesus, we see the love that he has for his little girl, his care for her. It's an echo in one sense of creation. We were created uh, to be fruitful and multiply, to care for those that God has given to us. And so he is concerned about his little girl. He's seeking her well-being, her safety. He's promoting life. And so we can commend this in Jairus. And so, and this would be our response too. If, if our child was in danger or a friend or a family member or whoever, whoever it might be, someone that we care about, if they are in danger, we're going to do all that we can to get him or her help. And so, so Jairus comes to Jesus and seeks him out, uh, knowing that in some way he can help him. And so Jesus quickly responds to Jairus and he leaves with him. He's, going to, he's headed to Jairus's house. And a large crowd is still following Jesus. But then in the midst of this, as Jesus is on the way, he gets interrupted by this woman, this woman that, that we don't know her name. Uh, the story, does Mark doesn't give us her name, but this woman came up to Jesus. And she was in just as desperate of a, of a situation as Jairus was. She had, had been suffering from continual bleeding for some 12 years. 12 years she had been suffering uh, from this ailment. It was abnormal. She had gone to see many doctors. She had spent all of her money... Uh, on, on treatment and she had exhausted all of her options and her condition had not changed. In fact, Mark tells us that it had gotten worse, that even her condition had, had gotten worse. And so you can imagine uh, the frustration she felt. Maybe you have felt that same frustration when uh, you have been to doctors and, and, there's, and no, there's no uh, signs of anything changing and the doctors can't figure out what's going on. And so you can imagine the frustration that she felt. Her situation was just as desperate as Jairus's. She's hopeless. She's helpless. She needs Jesus' help. And she had heard the news of Jesus. Uh, she had likely heard about him performing uh, various healings in the area. And so she comes to him. And she says in verse 28, she says, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Just, she just thought if she could just touch Jesus' clothes, that she would be made well. And so it's hard, you know, it's hard to know exactly what was going through her mind uh, in the ancient world in, in which uh, this story took place. Uh, it was believed if, if someone could touch the garments of a ruler, such as Alexander the Great or others, uh, that in some way blessing would come to them. And so maybe this is going on in our mind. Uh, we see even in, back in Mark chapter 3, uh, the crowd was pressing around Jesus, and, and they believed just if they could just touch him, they were just wanting to touch Jesus' clothes, uh, thinking that they could be made well by doing that. And so some people, uh, as, as you read this, might think that her actions are superstitious. Uh, but Mark uh, shows us uh, that, that she uh, is reflecting the actions of a disciple. She heard, she came. She had heard about Jesus and she came to Him and knew in some way that He could bring help to her, could bring healing to her. And so she, t- she touched his, his garments. She acted upon what she knew. And Jairus does the same thing. He also acts on, on what he knows of Jesus. He came uh, just like the woman in desperation in need of Jesus' help. His little girl was near death and he's pleading with Jesus, uh, come and help me, help my little girl. And so both of these people that we encounter in this story uh, share this common uh, link that they are uh, in, desperate situ- in desperate situations. They are hopeless. They need help from outside of themselves. They know that they can't uh, save themselves. And so they turn to Jesus in their desperation knowing uh, that he could help them in some way. They come to him. And so we see, the first thing we see in our text this morning is that Jesus is our source of help. When when life is difficult, when our circumstances seem hopeless, when they seem impossible, Jesus is our source of help. He is the one uh, that we turn to. When everything else fails, we can turn and rest and rely upon Jesus. And so we see that Jesus has been interrupted by this woman. She's touched his garment. And then as soon as she touches it, uh, she knew immediately... Uh, that her body had been healed. Mark tells us that immediately, just in that moment as she touched Jesus' garment, her blood flow dried up. She was healed. She knew in her body that she was healed of her disease. Can you imagine uh, the relief that this woman felt after 12 years of suffering and going through uh, the pain and the shame uh, of of this uh, ailment that she had, because she was uh, because of this because of this continual bleeding she had, she was she was cast out from uh, the community. She was considered unclean, and so uh, she didn't have contact uh, with with others. Much like the the garrison demoniac back in the early part of Mark chapter five, but you can imagine all this pain and this shame and this frustration is removed in that moment when she touched Jesus' garment when she was healed. And so Jesus knows this. He knows that power has gone out from him. We see that in verse 30. Uh, he realizes uh, that in some way power has gone out from him. The power that resides in him as a second person of the Trinity, as uh, the Son of God, that power had gone out from him. And so her healing, uh, this woman's healing, was the result of God's free and gracious uh, decision to release power through Jesus. God is responding to her faith, the faith that brought her to Jesus. God is responding to that, and he is healing her. Even as she touches Jesus' garments, his clothes. And so Jesus uh, turns around he attempts to find out who, who touched him. Remember, he's, he's got many people crowding around him, pressing against him. And so he's trying to find out who it is that's touched him. Uh, what causes power to go out from him? And his disciples have no clue as the disciples often do, uh, they, they had no clue what was going on. They're probably thinking, come on, Jesus, we've got other things to do. We've got more important things to do. Uh, we've got this little girl to go and, and, and save. Uh, there's, there's more important things, More there's better ways for you to be spending your time. And so Jesus continues to search the crowd, and then the woman comes forward in fear and trembling, and she falls down before Jesus. And so why, though, why does this woman fall down in fear? before Jesus. It could be from the social uh, stigma that comes from being an unclean person and and pressing through the crowd and having contact with people and and coming to Jesus and touching uh, His clothes. Uh, Maybe she thought she had done something wrong by stealing power from Jesus in some way. But Mark tells us in verse 33 that the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came uh, in fear uh, before Jesus. And so what Mark is doing here, he's connecting fear... Uh, with the knowledge of what had happened to her. This, this woman, like the disciples uh, in the storm on the Sea of Galilee back at the end of chapter 4, uh, when they saw Jesus uh, demonstrate his power over, over the wind and the sea, uh, they were in greater fear, if, if you remember that from the story. And so just as uh, Jesus has demonstrated his power uh, to the disciples and they were in fear, this woman is also in that same fear because she's experienced uh, power uh, that she has never seen before. And so she is in fear. Of Jesus, She's encountered power that she's never seen uh, before. But she comes before Jesus and she tells uh, the whole truth to the crowd, to Jesus. Now Mark doesn't give the details of, of what she said, but it could have gone something uh, like this. Uh, you know, she may have told about how she had suffered for many years and the pain and, and the frustration that she had experienced, how she had spent all of her money and resources on getting help and her condition had not gotten better, but in fact it had gotten worse. And she may have told them about the faith that she had in Jesus by just coming and touching His garments that she would be healed. And so she publicly confesses the faith that was in her heart before Jesus in the crowd. And so we see Jesus telling her that her faith has made her well. And so He confirms to her that it was her faith. It was her faith that brought her healing. It wasn't just the touching of her, His garments, garments, but it was the faith that led her to touch His garments that made her well. The touching of his robe was just the fruit of her faith. And he says to her, go in peace and be healed of your disease. And that word peace uh, in the Old Testament uh, is the word shalom, uh, which carries with it a meaning of uh, wholeness, well-being, security, and salvation. And that's the type of peace uh, that has come to this woman that she has experienced. as she came to Jesus in faith. And she acted upon that faith, that she came to him and touched, uh, just believing just if she could touch his garments that she would be made well. And so Jesus tells her to go, to go in peace. And so what we see here is Jesus interacts uh, with this woman, that his compassion does not uh, discriminate. Uh, the first part of the story, he had uh, this interaction with Jairus. And Jairus is still with him uh, while he's interacting with this woman. They're, remember, they're on the way to Jairus's house. Uh, but Jesus' compassion does not discriminate. Uh, Jairus was a, a local synagogue ruler, a man uh, of means, and, and he had open access to Jesus. And, uh, but Jesus shows no discrimination, even as this woman comes to him. Uh, she, was, she was unknown. We don't know her name. She was an outcast from society. Uh, and So we see that there's no uh, boundaries, there's no distinctions to those who Jesus uh, will show his compassion to. Recently, read a story about a study done in New York City some years ago, where they put a man uh, in the business district on one of the streets in New York City, and uh, he was was asking for money. Uh, He was he was telling folks he had lost his wallet and he needed money to get a taxi, and so he would give him his name, he would give him his address, his phone number, how to contact him, and he said, "As soon as I get home, uh, I, I can pay you back." And so on the first day. Uh, that the man was was asking for money, he wore a black suit. And then the second day uh, that he went out and asked for money, he wore a beige-colored suit. And so after uh, two days of of asking for cash on the streets in this business district of New York City, uh, it was found out that on the day that he wore the beige suit, that his cash intake was double that of the black suit day. And so what accounts for that? Uh, well, it comes to find out that in that year this study was done uh, that beige suits were the fashionable thing. That was the in color as far as suits go for men. And so what was going on is, is people were just simply showing favoritism or discrimination. Uh, they were more likely to give to him because he wore a beige suit because that was the end thing uh, that year. And so we see that's that what we do as human beings, we make distinctions uh, between one another. But Jesus, when it comes to Jesus, he makes no distinctions to whom uh, he will give and extend his compassion to. This woman, uh, she had no name. As I've said before, she was an outcast. She was cut off uh, from her community. She had no honor. And then there's Jairus, who is a male, uh, who was a synagogue leader, who, had, like I said, had open access to Jesus. She, he could approach Jesus freely. Uh, And and we see Jesus showing compassion to both people. No matter their circumstances, Jesus shows compassion to them. His compassion and saving power comes to all. Not just the rich, not just the poor, but to the rich and poor alike. He makes no distinctions. The one thing that Jesus does require, though, is faith. And He tells both of these uh, folks to believe, to trust in Him. His compassion makes no distinction. It does not discriminate. And so as Jesus is finishing his conversation with this woman, uh, the story turns back to Jairus, who's been waiting on Jesus. Remember, he's been with Jesus during this whole encounter with this woman, through this interruption. And you can imagine uh, what Jairus was thinking. Uh, he may have been impatient. Uh, he was worried. I know he, We know he was worried about his daughter. That's why he came to Jesus in the first place. And he's probably wondering, when can we get back to my house? You know, we don't know what's going on with my little girl. And so, um, as, as this is taking place, as Jesus is finishing this interaction with this woman, uh, folks come from Jairus's house to inform him that his daughter has died. And they say, why trouble the teacher any further? In other words, Jesus is just a teacher. He's just a, a good man, but there's no uh, abilities that he has beyond being just a good teacher. He has no ability to heal your daughters, basically what they're telling uh, Jairus. And you can imagine his despair, his worry, uh, his sadness, maybe even his anger. Again, because they've been waiting uh, to to get back to to his house, and and they've had this encounter with the woman. Uh, His little girl has died. All hope is lost. And so he's wondering, what else could be done now? What else could be done for her? And in the midst of this, in the midst of his hopelessness, Jesus speaks into that in verse 36, and he says, Do not fear, only believe. He says, yeah, and basically Jesus is saying, yes, your circumstances are bad, but yes, you can trust me. Believe that I can and work in the midst of your despair. That word believe is a present tense imperative, meaning basically what Jesus is telling Jairus is to continually to keep on believing. Not just right now, but to continue to believe and trust in him. He's calling Jairus to a strong faith, a trust in the midst of impossible circumstances. Remember, Jairus had the confidence to come to Jesus knowing that, that he could save his daughter. And he's saying, continue to trust me, continue to believe. He's seeing Jesus heal uh, this woman of this ailment that she had for some 12 years. And so Jesus has already demonstrated the connection between faith and God's help. And so he's asking Jairus, he's telling Jairus to continue to believe that she will live in spite of, of impossible in current circumstances, this is a radical faith that Jesus is calling Jairus to. It's different from the way others would, would think of in, in a circumstances just like this. Uh, because we have, we see the people at Jairus' house, they believe there's no hope. There are already people weeping and wailing. We see that in verse 38. Uh, and, and beyond. They're weeping and wailing. Professional mourners had already come uh, to Jairus' home and, and were, were beginning to, to comfort the family. This was a common thing in first century uh, Judaism, uh, that professional mourners would come to, to the home um, from the passing of, of someone. And so we see uh, that Jesus responds to this. Though so He responds uh, to this unbelief. He says, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And so we hear that and we think, is, is the child dead or is she just sleeping? Uh, this might be confusing for us as we hear this. Uh, but we can affirm uh, that she was, was dead because the mourners, these professional mourners, had come to the house. And they were already there for the family. And these, these are folks who are not fooled. They have seen death before. And so they knew what had taken place. But we have to think about this from Jesus' perspective. In fact, Jesus is the one that is responding uh, to the doubters. He's saying um, she is not dead, but she, she is, is sleeping. And basically from his perspective, uh, he knows what he's about to do, that she will soon awake uh, from death. He knows what he's about to do. And in that sense, she is only sleeping. Like those of us who are in Christ, who die in Christ, are only sleeping. Uh, until Christ returns. The Scripture uh, attests to this in, in many places. Uh, but the, the, the crowd gathered there at, at Jairus' house, they laugh at Jesus. Uh, they think, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, and, and so we see their doubt, their unbelief. And this represents what these this group of people does, these folks that are laughing at Jesus. Uh, they represent those in every age that that doubt uh, divine and supernatural possibilities in the face of of empirical evidence. In other words, uh, they are skeptics. They don't believe there's there's any hope uh, for this little girl at this point. And so Jesus, though, takes action in the midst of this, in the midst of this doubt. And he takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and and the girl's parents, and they go inside the house, and he takes her by the hand, and we see that in verse 41, and he says, Talitha kum, which is an Aramaic phrase. That was the language uh, that Jesus often spoke in. Uh, It was a common language in in first century uh, Palestine. And so Talitha is a feminine noun meaning lamb or youth. Again, Talitha. emphasizing uh, this girl's young age. She was 12 years old, as Mark tells us. And kum is an imperative. In other words, it's a command, meaning arise. And so basically what Jesus is telling uh, this little girl, he's saying, little girl, arise. And so immediately she got up and her body has life again. And the people uh, we see were amazed. They were amazed at what had taken place. And you can imagine the relief and the joy uh, that, that her parents felt at seeing this take place. And so as we take a step back and and think about uh, the situation of of Jairus and the woman, we see the common link uh, between their two stories is that they they had faith in the midst of hopelessness. Uh, The woman's condition was hopeless. Uh, She had spent some 12 12 years trying to get a cure from from this bleeding that she was experiencing. She had exhausted all of her means. And Jairus was hopeless too. He couldn't save his daughter. He came to Jesus knowing he didn't have the power uh, to save her. Both of these people turn to Jesus knowing that He is their only hope. And so what we see is that Jesus can be trusted. He is trustworthy even when life, when circumstances are impossible. Jesus can be trusted. He is trustworthy. When all hope is lost, when it seems like there's no way out, when the realities of this life are overbearing and we can't take any more, Jesus can be trusted. He is trustworthy in the midst of of impossible circumstances. And so as we we look back at our story, we see Jesus, He's a source of help. Uh, Jairus and this woman come to Him knowing that He can help them. His compassion does not discriminate. Uh, He helps the rich and the poor alike. And He's trustworthy even when circumstances seem impossible. And so what can we take away from this here today? The so what question that we often ask. Uh, What do we take away from this text this morning? There's a number of things I believe that we can take away, and I will just share a few of those with us uh, now. And the first thing I think we can take away from this is is that the comforts of this world uh, will not protect us. Uh, Our tendency is to find safety and comfort outside of Christ, uh, and that is we could find that in a number of things. It could be in money and possessions, uh, having the perfect job, uh, getting into the right college for, for education. Uh, it could be having a large retirement account, whatever it might be. It might be entertainment, uh, whatever it is. The comforts of this world cannot protect us. They cannot protect us uh, from hardship, from, from sickness, and even death. The best medical innovations and in care will not save us from sickness and from death. Only faith in Christ and what He has done on our behalf can eternally Save us from death and give us life. And so the comforts of this world will not protect us. But so often, that's where we turn to uh, when life is difficult, uh, when, when, when tragedy strikes. We turn to other things to comfort us. But the only thing that can give us true comfort and hope is Christ. And we also see uh, that faith defies our circumstances we see that in, in Jairus we see that in the woman in our story this morning we see uh, uh, the woman again her, her status was an outcast she was cut off uh, from contact with others and but this didn't prevent her from coming to Jesus and seeking him out and pushing through the crowd and, and, and gaining access to him even though she was considered unclean and, and was kept out kept away from others because of her sickness uh, because of her sickness Uh, Faith defied her circumstances. She trusted Jesus knowing that he could save her. And Jairus does the same thing. Jairus, uh, in the face of his daughter's death, he has many doubters surrounding him saying, why bother the teacher anymore? He can't do anything. He's just a teacher. They laughed at him. But Jairus too must trust Jesus and not his circumstances. Our faith must enable us to look beyond our circumstances and know that there is something better. There is something better yet to come. There is something better than our current difficulties. Whether that is sickness, whether that is loneliness, whether that is depression that we're struggling with, uh, unemployment, bullying, abuse, and even death. Whatever it might be that we're experiencing right now, there is something better than our current difficulties. And so faith enables us to defy our circumstances and look beyond that. And we see Jesus telling us to believe, to keep on trusting Him. Now, this doesn't mean that things will always change for the better for us. Uh, sometimes they don't change. But His promises of forgiveness and eternal life are much better than anything currently happening in our lives. And so this gives us hope. This gives us uh, hope that there's something better out there, something better uh, to come. And the last thing... I want to mention uh, that we can take away uh, from from our text this morning is that we're not immune from hardship. We're not immune from sickness. We're not immune uh, from death. This comes to rich and poor alike, uh, to Christian and non-Christian. Jairus' status as a synagogue leader did not protect him from death. Suffering comes to all of us as human beings, Christian and non-Christian alike. And and yes, Jairus' daughter and and, and the unnamed uh, woman, they were delivered from sickness. They were delivered from death. But one day, eventually, their bodies gave out. Their bodies deteriorated and death did come to them uh, one day. Yes, Jesus saved them uh, and healed them. in in this moment here that we saw in our text this morning. But one day, death did come to them as it comes uh, to all of us, as it comes to you and me. And this has been happening, as I said earlier, ever since Genesis 3. Uh, This is something we cannot avoid. We cannot avoid sickness. We cannot avoid death, unfortunately. But the good news is that death does not get the last word. Death is not the end of the story for us. And so our story today, there is hope found in our story. Uh, One of my favorite parts of the Lord of the Rings uh, book is in the last book The Return of the King. In the aftermath of uh, the ring being destroyed in Mount Doom uh, Tolkien paints a picture in the pages that follow that of all things being made right. Evil being done away with. And this, this picture of, of evil being done away with uh, is, is captured in a question uh, that Sam asks of Gandalf. He says, is everything sad going to come untrue? This is a question that all of us ask, right? Is everything sad going to come untrue? All of the hardship and the pain and the difficulty we've experienced in life, will that one day become untrue? Will things be made right? This is a question that our entire world is asking as you look around, as you turn on the TV and read newspapers. Uh, We see uh, fires taking place in California, claiming the lives of many. We see floods taking place, fighting, wars, conflict, abuse, sickness, and death. Will these things be done away with? That's the question that's being asked. And if Christianity doesn't have an answer to all these things, then we're in trouble because no other worldview can account for these things. No other worldview has a solution to the things that we experience, to the hard things that we experience in this life. But the good news is that we do have an answer, and that's found in our story today because Jesus, as He heals this woman and and brings Jairus' daughter back from the dead, He is saying, yes, there is something better out there. Yes, there is something better than our current circumstances. Yes, there is something better uh, than sickness. And death, These things were never meant to be. And what Jesus is doing here is He heals this woman uh, as, he, as He brings Jairus' daughter back from the dead. He is pushing back against the effects of the fall. He is pushing back against it and saying, there's something better out there. And so just as Jesus stops this woman's bleeding, Jesus was the one who gave His own blood uh, to save us. As he brought Jairus' daughter back to life, he is the one who gave his life on the cross so those of us who believe and trust in him might be delivered from our sins and have life, eternal life. And so Jairus' daughter's resurrection points to Christ's own resurrection, which is even a foretaste of our own resurrection to those of us who are in Christ that we will take part of one day when Jesus returns to this earth and renews it. We will take Uh, part in that resurrection in which Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of. And so death is not the end of the story, but resurrection is. Resurrection is the end of the story for us if we are in Christ. And so that gives us hope. That gives us hope because we have a Savior who has power over life and death. We have hope in a Savior who makes all the hurt and all the pain and all the sadness, all the sad things come untrue. We have that hope and that's found in Christ. Because He has defeated death and one day He will do away with it forever and it will be no more. And even though He will do this, even though we have this promise from Christ, it doesn't make life easy for us in the present, does it? Our pain is real and healing doesn't always happen to us. But we have a faith. We have a faith that overcomes despair. Even in the midst of the hopelessness, hopelessness that we feel now, we have a faith that overcomes despair. And that's because Jesus was raised from the dead. We believe that those who are in Christ will take part in that resurrection one day. There will be a day when the sad things come untrue because we, our trust is in a Lord and Savior who has power over life and death. And this brings us true hope in the midst of our hopelessness. Let me pray for us now. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray this morning that it would encourage us all here this day, uh, that you would remind us that uh, the hardships that we face in this life is not the end of the story, and that there is a better day yet to come. And so we thank you for Christ, we thank you for his resurrection, and the hope that that gives us uh, as we look to him, as we trust in him. That's in his name we pray. Amen. Jesus' words here that he will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day he drinks it new with us in his Father's kingdom reminds us that there is a better day coming. There is a better day coming uh, than what we experience in this world now. Uh, The hardships, the sickness, death, and other things that we experience in this world, there will be a day uh, when Jesus returns and he rids the world of these things and they will be no more. And that gives us hope. Uh, as Christians, as we, as we seek to follow the Lord faithfully each and every day, we have this hope that there is one day when these things will be no more and Jesus does away with them. And so that the Lord's Supper points us towards that day and these, even these words that Jesus uh, spoke to his disciples many, many years ago uh, gives us hope and points to that day uh, when Christ will do away with all the things uh, that, that we deal with in this life. And so this table points to, to Christ, to, his, to his, his death and his resurrection, to his, his body and his blood, the giving of his blood. And so that we come to the table this morning uh, that our faith might be uh, strengthened, that it might be encouraged, that we might be empowered to go out and live this week, even though our circumstances tell us otherwise. Our circumstances may tell us that God is not good. Christ's resurrection reminds us that God is good. Because he raised Jesus from the dead. And we will take part in that resurrection one day. To those who trust in Jesus and hope in him and believe in him. And so this table is, is for Christians this morning. It's for those who are trusting in Jesus. Uh, that know uh, that they cannot save themselves. They cannot forgive themselves, but they need forgiveness. And that comes through trusting in Jesus uh, as our Lord and Savior. And so, if you believe these things, if you are a member in good standing of a church that uh, preaches and proclaims the gospel, then we invite you to come to this table and take and eat. uh, That your faith might be strengthened. That you might be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. That he gave his body and his blood for us. Let Let me pray for us now. Father, we ask that you would bless these elements now as we take and and drink of them and eat of them, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would enable us to trust you in the midst of our circumstances. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.